Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan Pearson, live from Atlanta, just finished covering game one of this four-game series out in Truist Park. And yeah, that was that was a doozy. Uh, Marlins got blown out 11-0. They were nearly no hit by Spencer Strider. It was just all around terrible, very bad, no good way to start this series against one of the top teams in baseball, one of the teams that the Marlins sort of need to strive to try to compete against as they push into win-now mode in year one under Skip Schumacher. And just the story of the night with Spencer Strider. He was just flat-out dominant. 13 strikeouts. He had six perfect innings before Jazz Chisholm Jr. reached on a fielding error by Ray's first baseman Matt Olson. Chisholm grounded the ball down the first baseline, and Olson tried to attack the ball, and he just went past his glove. Uh, Spencer Strider made quick work of the rest of the seven, took the no-hitter into the eighth inning before Gene Segura went way down below the strike zone to lift a slider in the shallow left center. John Birdie followed up with another single. But then Strider got two more strikeouts, Jacob Stallings and Gary Hampson, to end his time on the mound. 101 pitches. The Marlins whiffed on almost half of their swings against him. His slider was fantastic. His forcing fastball was great. And I feel like uh, Marlins manager Skip Schumacher probably put described Strider's performance best. His quote when I asked him about the Marlins' approach post-game was, it felt like you were facing a closer for eight innings. Credit to him. He keeps getting better and better. He's making really good hitters look bad right now. And that's not just what he did against the Marlins. You have to zoom out to see what Strider's done all year. He's pitched 30 innings through five starts and already has 49 strikeouts. He's struck out at least nine guys in every start this year. He set the Braves record for most consecutive games with at least nine strikeouts dating back to last year. And remember what he did last year as a rookie, first full season in pro ball, 2.67 ERA in 31 appearances and 20 starts, was runner-up for NL Rookie of the Year behind teammate Michael Harris II. And, oh yeah, he struck out 202 guys in 131 two-thirds innings. The kid's good. It's I've gotten to see a couple of his starts, and he's just been fun to watch and got a damn good mustache to go on top of it. So, but... This just this game as a whole, obviously Spencer Strider, what he did on that side was one thing. Marlins gave up five home runs that allowed allotted for the Braves' first eight runs. Edward Cabrera gave up two of them. I believe it was just the fourth time in Cabrera's big league career that he's given the multiple home runs in the same game. Cabrera's been sort of ebbing and flowing this year. Had a couple great starts before this and then got rocked today. Uh Fourth inning got checked on uh, his planting leg, his left leg sort of locked up a little bit when he was releasing one of his pitches when he led off against Ozzy Albies. Stayed in the game, but had two 
rough starts against the Mets, two good starts, and then another rough one. And after him, Stephen Oker gave up the home run, and then they brought in Sean Nolan, who was a reliever they just brought up as a long relief guy. You know, two more home runs and then another uh, base clearing triple later on. Just, again, a game that the Marlins are going to want to flush and just get rid of. But this game as a whole does bring up a point. Miami is now 12-11 and 11 on the season through the first game of the series entering Tuesday. They're still punching above 500, which for this club, that's good to see. However, they're 2-6 and six against the Mets and Braves. The clear 1-2 punch in the NL East and probably the National League overall. When you, you look at their record against everyone else, 10-5. and five. They've gone 2-1 against each of their other five opponents. Uh, the Cleveland Guardians just this past weekend up in Cleveland break doubleheader and then lost to lost in the finale against uh, Logan Allen making his MLB debut. Shout out to Logan Allen, by the way. FIU alum or FIU standout second round pick in 2020 was dominating his MLB debut on Sunday. But Marlins took two of three there and they also took two of three against the Minnesota Twins, the Arizona Diamondbacks, the San Francisco Giants, and the Philadelphia Phillies. So really it's just it's trying to figure out which Marlins team is this team more like. Is this are they more like a team that has gotten dominated by the two powerhouses in their division? Or are they more like the team that's punching above their weight class and hanging with the rest of the pack? Because when you look at the rest of the the rest of those teams, again, Cleveland, Minnesota, Arizona, San Fran, and Philly, uh, every one of those teams, with the exception of the Giants, either currently has a winning record or made the playoffs last year. So it's not like the Marlins are just feasting on the bottom teams, a la what they did last year against the Washington Nationals. They're competing and winning against some of the against teams that are playoff caliber and really just not showing up against two of the biggest teams in the sport right now. But with that, and on that note, I'll say I'm leaning more towards the Marlins are the latter. And that's most likely the case. They look like a team that when they are in the game, they're competitive. When the game gets out of hand very quickly, which has happened for the most part against the Mets and the Braves, Braves obviously being one game, things fall apart fast. But Miami has found a way to more or less be in games. But with that said, they need to find a way to compete with these powerhouses. That's the very challenge that needs to be accomplished and needs to be solved if they want to take that next step and be that win-now team that they are striving to be. Marlins manager Skip Schumacher pregame Monday Called the Braves another good test for the Marlins early this season. Game one, they did not live up to it. Will they be able to through the rest of the series? We're about to find out. Uh, the rest of the series breaks down as follows. Uh, Brian Hoeing will be making a spot start on Tuesday against Charlie Morton. Hoeing is filling the spot for Trevor Rogers, who is out. He's on the injured list after having a... a uh, I believe the Marlins termed a left bicep strain that he sustained in his start Wednesday against the San Francisco Giants to close out that series. He's currently not throwing. The hope is that he will miss just the minimum. His MRI came back relatively clean, just a little bit of minor swelling from what both Trevor Rogers and Skip Schumacher told us in Cleveland over the weekend. 
but we'll see what happens there. And remember, this rotation's already starting to get thin. Trevor Rogers is out. Uh, Johnny Poito is still on the IL. He's scheduled to throw three innings in extended spring uh, over at some point over the next couple days, but he still is always away. He hasn't officially started a rehab assignment yet. And the Marlins don't really have too many starting pitching options in their 40-man. Again, that's why they're bringing up Brian Helling. You look at what they have in the minors. You, they've got Daniel Cassano is injured right now. Uh, Yuri Perez, Dax Fulton in double-A aren't ready yet, and you don't want to rush either of them if you don't have to. Max Meyer, obviously, Tommy John. Jake Eater still recovering from the foot injury. So a lot of their main options aren't ideal options. So the Marlins need to find a way to keep the rest of the group healthy. So, again, Brian Hoeing against Charlie Morton on Tuesday. Wednesday will be Sandy Alcantara versus Bryce Elder. Now, this goes back to the injury and keeping the starting rotation healthy. Sandy Alcantara did not start on Saturday, which was his scheduled start against Cleveland. Uh, the Marlins set, called it right biceps tendonitis. Alcantara, when I got a chance to talk with him on Sunday, said that before the road trip, he had a bad night's sleep and basically started feeling it in his arm. It didn't have anything to do with anything from an after effect from throwing, but that's what he said. He felt fine afterward, played catch on Sunday through a bullpen Monday that Skip Schumacher said he came out clean. So Sandy will throw again on Wednesday, make that start. And then the Marlins wrap up the series. Braxton Garrett, who has been pretty solid since joining the rotation, filling in for Cueto, going up against Kyle Wright on Thursday. After that, Marlins are back home for three-game series against the Cubs, an off day, and then three more against this Braves team. So the Marlins, again, test after test after test. The Cubs have a winning record this year as well. So another week of continuing to see if the Marlins can punch above their weight and continue to try to stay where they are and stay in the hunt early and not fall out of it before and not fall of it early and have to face an uphill climb. And just to wrap a couple things up on the big league side, few injuries, other injuries of note, Luis Arias has been dealing with a left knee contusion since Saturday. Uh, his second at bat against the Guardians in game one of Miami's doubleheader fouled off a Shane Bieber cutter. It went right, went to his back knee. He was in some clear pain, didn't play on Sunday, didn't play on Monday, was available Monday if needed, but the Marlins are going to be as cautious as they can with Arise, who also was dealing with a finger injury prior to the knee injury. And they need him to be healthy in as many games as possible. Again, he's hitting 445 or something along those marks as we near the end of the first month of the season. He is that steady bat that makes that lineup go. He's that guy who gets on base and helps the rest of the lineup do what he needs to do. And if they can make sure he doesn't miss significant time at any point in the season, they're going to do that. And then also on the infielder front, Joey Wendell is closing in on starting a rehab assignment. The Marlins are hopeful that he'll be able to start that this weekend. He uh, was hitting off machine on Monday. He's doing all the defense work. And I talked with Joey briefly over the weekend in Cleveland. He said once he starts a rehab assignment, the hope is that it'll be minimal time. So hypothetically, if he's able to start it on Friday, the hope would be he only needs that weekend and will be able to rejoin the team next week, Tuesday, when they start their second series against the Braves. 
And then the last injury update, uh, JT Chargois, who has been out since the Mets Road Series. So he's been out since basically the start of the second week of the season. He's throwing, he's playing catch. Still has a little bit of ways to go, but the Marlins have bullpen options to continue to fill his spot like they've been doing so far this season. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And then to now shift things over to our usual minor league report. Going to have to start off with Victor Mason Jr. Give him the big shout out. I mean, we all got excited when Luis Rice hit for the cycle, the first one for the Marlins in the big leagues a couple weeks or last week. Well, Victor Mason Jr. did that in the minors. He did that for double-A Pensacola last week, Tuesday. First cycle for him in pro ball career, just the second ever by a Blue Wahoos player. And it was just the start of a solid week for him. He hit 375 overall, 9 for 24, with five RBI and two runs scored over Pensacola's six-game series against the Birmingham Barons, who are the double-A affiliate for the White Sox. And in addition to the cycle, he had two other multi-hit games. And through 14 games this season, Mesa Jr., he's been solid. And it's fun to see him doing as well as he is. He leads the Blue Wahoos with 20 hits, six doubles, a 351 batting average, 579 slugging mark, and 962 on ba- or OPS. Uh, also a six RBI, six runs scored. Uh, prior to going 0 for 4 on Sunday, he safely reached base in 12 consecutive games, and he's only struck out 12 times in 60 play appearances. Strikeout rate at 20%. If he could keep it around that or below that, that's solid. And then 13 of his 14 starts have been in center field, and he already has a pair of outfield assists. And Again, with when the Mesa brothers got signed, the, the hope was Victor Victor would be able to do what he needs to do and Victor Mesa Jr. would be able to make the climb. And we've seen what's happened with Victor Victor. He hasn't produced since signing that mega deal as an international free agent. He's on the minor league IL right now. But to see Victor Jr., to at least see one of them making strides, especially after what the Marlins did to sign both of them and use them to show that they were committed to doing what they needed to, to be major players again in the international market. That's a positive sign to see. And a few other quick hits on the minor league side to round out the group. Yuri Perez, after he gave up eight runs, five earned over his first two starts, finally had his big moment of the season. Uh, five shutout innings with five strikeouts on Thursday. Gave up just two hits, walked one. Looked like the Yuri Perez that everybody is hoping he will be. Remember, top prospect for the Marlins, number 11 overall in Major League Baseball, according to MLB Pipeline. And 
Perez, if he can string together some outings, some more outings like that, he from where he's scheduled to go again on Wednesday after going Thursday. So he sh- we should be able to see him again. And looking forward to seeing what happens as he strings more starts together. Uh, to stay in Double A, left-hander pitcher Patrick Monverde, who I've talked about each of the last two episodes, finally proved he was human. He gave up a run, uh, but again. With that one run given up, he also casually struck out another 10 and six innings of work. He's up to 29 strikeouts against five hits, two walks, and one hit batter over his first 19 innings this season. And then to go back to the offensive side in double A, Nassim Nunez uh, had a 517 on base percentage last week, eight for 22 with five walks. And when Nassim Nunez gets on base, he's going to steal. Five swipes over the six games. He's now up to seven on the season. And Nassim Nunez can provide the offense on top of what we see with the glove. That's the perfect recipe for him. And same goes for a guy a level above him over in AAA. Jacob Amaya, the shortstop prospect that Miami acquired from the Dodgers in the Miguel Rojas trade. He has most productive week in a small sample size in the Marlins org. Uh, offensively, he hit 375, 6 for 16, with two home runs, a double, two walks, and three runs scored. Uh, drove in four, struck out just three times. That, to me, is key. He struck out, I think, close to a dozen times the first two weeks of the AAA season. And like Nassim Nunez, his glove is already MLB ready. It's just a matter of what he does offensively and how much he can provide on that side of it, on that side of his game, that will determine what happens with him long-term. And then a couple other quick hits. Uh, Jacob Berry hit his first home run for high A Beloit on Sunday, and he enters this week on a three-game hit streak. Yiddy Cape, who was my focal point last week, three more multi-hit games, and now has multiple hits in seven of 15 games to start the year. And down in low A, Jacob Miller, uh, Overall, three starts in, he has a 2.87 ERA with 16 strikeouts over 15 two-thirds innings through three starts. And opponents are only hitting .082 against him right now. Now, his command alluded to him in his last start on Saturday. He walked seven over four and two-thirds after having just one walk and two starts. Uh, Obviously, we'll see what happens as he moves forward to see if that was just an anomaly, just a blip, or if there's something that will need to be followed up on. But... Jacob Miller, he was their Marlins second pick in the 2022 draft, 19 years old, and again, off to a pretty good start to his pro ball career. And with that, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode of Fish Bites. Thanks so much, as always, for tuning in. We'll be back again next week, and actually pretty excited about next week's episode. Uh, Again, we'll recap what happened over the course of the Brave series and then the Cubs series over the weekend and hoping to have at least one pretty good interview with someone on the Marlin staff coming on to, to the show next week. Excited for that. And again, everything will be all my stories. You guys can check everything out on MiamiHerald.com and continue to tune in every week here. So with that, thanks so much. And we'll be back next week.